Citizens of Kaizen! Welcome to Citizens of Kaizen. My guest today is Hector Garcia. He is the author of Ikigai, the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. This book changed my life and provided me with a powerful scarring moment. I write a passage that I didn't even know I needed. The people of Japan believe that everyone has an Ikigai. A reason to jump out of bed each morning. Your ikigai is your passion, profession, vocation, and mission. The union of what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs. Your ikigai is who you are and who you can become. Your guiding star in this crazy thing we call life. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with Hector. Garcia. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you to you for inviting me. No worries. Have you ever been in Japan? Yeah, so I actually lived in Japan for 18 years. Ah, sorry. Yeah, you, t- you told me. You told me that you've been yeah. And now you're in Australia. Because I'm in Australia now. Yeah, so I left Japan in 2011, but I try to go back when I can. 2011. So okay, and why? Why? So you want to come back and live here, or why? Why did you leave? Yes, yeah, so my my brother and my father are still there at the moment, um, and I have lots of friends there. So yeah, I try to get back when I can, and um, you know, I always I always miss the food and you know the culture, just so everything were, about it. So. so you were in Tokyo. Yes. 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 Yeah, Tokyo is amazing. Ah, uh, it's so incredible. It's the only book that I've ever reread. Really? And wow. It, um, it came at a time when I was, you know, looking for a lot of, I was looking for some answers and I thought, man, I could maybe delve into some more Japanese philosophy. And then I came across your, your book at a bookshop in Brisbane and I thought, that's the one, that's the one for me. And, um, Mm-hmm. Yes, I just I'd love to know. You know, um, I have to ask you, Hector, what brought you to Japan, and why did you fall in love with it? Oh, I guess I guess it's, this is the most difficult question mm-hmm. people always ask me. But I guess it's kind of like it's the same as you were saying. Is you, you that there is something that pulls some people to who dislike Japan. And there is some people, I, I think there is a love and hate thing. And there's some people that you feel some, I feel a pull to Japanese things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been like that always. And I don't know, I would say it's maybe the mystery of like, I don't understand. I like mm-hmm. I try, trying to understand things. And the more I understand, try to understand Japan, the more, the less, the more I realize that I don't understand. Does it make sense? So I don't consider myself an expert in Japan because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of impossible. And I think that's why I like it here. If, if not, yeah. if I understand something, I kind of get bored and I, I, I like doing something else. Endless mystery. <laughs> yes, endless mystery. I'm using that in my next book I'm writing now. Like the endless mystery of Japan is what is what keeps me here. I I couldn't agree more. Um, it's funny. Um, you know, many of my friends will ask me, "Oh, what's Japan like? Can you please explain the culture to me? I don't really understand it at all." And I try my best, but I always tell them, you know, for the most part. Japan is still a mystery to me as well. So <laughs> yes, you cannot you cannot explain it. So that's why I try with my books, and I I try not. Well, I shouldn't say yeah because my for example in Ikigai I try not to. I don't really explain things. 
I give mm -hmm. you like, okay, this is it. And then you can interpret. Mm -hmm. So then every person, you can find the book and it can help you. Mm -hmm. Yes, so that's, that's like trying to explain. It's trying to communicate the feeling of like mm -hmm. what is. And you can, you can get that even without coming to Japan. When you watch a Japanese movie, if you like anime or manga, or if you like uh, Japanese art and Japanese paintings, Anything Japanese has a has something like that. It 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 can attract people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it depends on personality. Some people they just okay, whatever. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think for the listeners, you know, who um, haven't been to Japan and are thinking about going there, they should definitely read your book, A Geek in Japan. I think you did a really good job of delving into all aspects of the culture and. I loved all the um, the photos and the maps and yeah, it was really comprehensive. Yes, why a geek in Japan is like is like one on one in Japan. I think mm -hmm. it's like I think yes, uh, it's not a guide to travel to Japan. So I, I always recommend yeah, it's like buy my book a geek in Japan and then yeah. complement it with a guide. So. Mm -hmm. With a geek in Japan, you will understand more the why. Uh, I, I, I like answering the question of why why things are like they are in Japan, which sometimes is very difficult to explain. Mm -hmm. And even if you ask Japanese, this is something. Also, if you've been here like eighteen years, there are many things that even you, 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 some people say, why don't Japanese explain Japan? Why it has to be I think sometimes it's better to be a foreigner to see things from another perspective. Because mm -hmm. if you ask Japanese people, the answers they give you many times is like they don't even know themselves. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? It so makes sense, yes. Yeah, so it's like, okay, then you have to take a perspective. And now that I've been so long here, I, I think I'm becoming a little bit Japanese. So it's becoming for me more difficult to explain Japan. Mm. by being and becoming one of them yeah yes that's it yes it's, it's difficult so in yeah. a geek in japan in a geek in japan i try to explain like things like why do all japanese wear like uh, masks <laughs> and why do they care so much i don't know many things like why why are they so polite but at the same time sometimes they you know the hone and tatemai thing mm -hmm. Which sometimes they they don't lie to you, but if you put too much pressure on them, they will put give you an answer that is very polite, but behind the scenes, that's that's not that's not is not true. So mm -hmm. that's explaining like cultural details, so you mm -hmm. you understand how they think and yeah. how how they feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I feel like I probably understand a little bit more about Japan, you know, um, since I've been in Australia, you know, taking a step back and having another perspective. And like you said, you know, when you're there, you're just so, I guess, immersed in the culture and your, your senses are getting flooded. And um, it can be kind of overwhelming, I guess. And it yes, can help yes. maybe. Um, I think it's really great what you did, you know, because I think when a you know a westerner writes a book or makes a movie about japan um or anything for that matter it allows people to you know they can relate to the westerner um and there's sort of a a good medium i guess to understanding japan yes it is i am sure you understand more now in japan when you you are in australia for one two years and then you go back to tokyo then you notice things that you've never noticed before because you were always. I like the analogy of if you're a fish and you've been inside the ocean all, all your life and then one day you jump out outside and you see the sky mm -hmm. and you say, oh, I've been in the sea all the time. Mm -hmm. But if you're inside the sea like, and the water, you don't even know the water exists. Mm -hmm. So if you're here, like everything is 
normal for you. Mm-hmm. So now, now for uh, I try to keep. I try now. My strategy is to ask people who come here for the first time. Mm-hmm. I ask them, what does surprise you? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. there is no trash cans on the streets. Uh, like all people, like many things. Now I try to ask people to because I'm becoming a fish inside the sea. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming difficult for me to see. So now I'm sure like when you come back to Japan, you realize, oh, this is how. And also maybe you feel a little bit, 18 years here is a lot. You feel a little bit Japanese, mm-hmm. I guess. So that's like, oh, this is how people behave here. You're not supposed yeah. to uh, confront someone directly. Like mm-hmm. maybe in America, I don't know about, you have to teach me about Australia. But in in the U.S. or Spain, I'm from Spain, so people are more conf- confrontational. So mm-hmm. you you kind of like in a discussion, you <clears throat> you can say something against someone else, and but it's just a casual. In Japan, even in casual situations, you usually don't. Every you usually even if you have a, an opinion that is against someone else's opinion, mm-hmm. you don't you don't say it directly. You say mm-hmm. it indirectly, so there mm-hmm. are all these. This is just one one example, but every day, in one day here in Japan, everything around you is even the way people you walk on the streets. You like you've been in Shibuya crossing. Mm-hmm. There, there are some subconscious patterns how people walk, right? Yes, uh, and and it's very strange because. If you have landed just in Japan and you go there, you will bump into people, mm-hmm. and, and and you will get angry because like oh they are bumping into me. It's not it's not they are bumping into you. You are bumping into them because mm-hmm. you are moving you are moving differently from them because you're. And then once you've been here for years, then you start walking like them. It's like a mysterious, and that's what fascinates me about cultures. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested not only in Japan but cult, like humans and cultures in general. That's why my book Ikigai. I don't think it's about Japan anymore. Ikigai is more about life and human beings and how we should pursue a life of meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very interesting. I thought um, I loved how in the book you talked about. Um, you know, you mentioned Viktor Frankl, Nassim Taleb, Marcus Aurelius. Um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Mihai. Yes. wrote about flow, and I, I really loved it, how it all sort of came together, and you used all these different ideas, and it was just an incredible book. Um, so I'm really curious, Hector, how, what's the story behind Ikigai? Like, why did, and why did you write Ikigai? So I was, I was like, that's, I don't know when you found the book in the bookstore, but for me, the story is kind of, I was in a, I don't tell it in the book, but I was kind of in a, I got an illness, like more or less 2011 when you left Japan. Mm -hmm. So, and it was the first time, it was pretty bad, like uh, interesting illness. And it was the first time I thought I was for months, like couldn't work, like couldn't focus. Like I was thinking about very deeply for the first time. Like okay, what happens? It sounds harsh, but it's kind of like this. Like the second chapter in Nikki Guy, like Victor Franklin. I was thinking, okay, what happens if I die? And I'm like, I was just 31, mm-hmm. so started making me thinking very deeply about what life is for the first time in my life, I think. Because in my 20s, I was like, kind of, I had a pretty good, it was so good and everything went so well and exciting that I didn't, it sounds like a cliche, but I didn't really care. Like, okay, I will just follow my amazing, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to travel, I want to, and it was fun. But then when this illness came to me, I started thinking very deeply about about meaning, mm-hmm. and that's that's the seed that that created the book Ikigai. People ask me why do you think Ikigai is 
so successful, the book. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know, but I think the reason is because it, it communicates that feeling. And mm-hmm. I, I really wanted, and so I put all the information together. And then I we wrote this, I wrote this together with uh, Francesc, who is my co-author, who is, he's a very famous novelist in Spain. And also he's like, he's a, a therapist. So he knows about human psychology and everything. So we wrote this book. He came to Tokyo and he offered me, Hector, to cure yourself, your mind, and also your illness. You, We have to write a book together to as a self-therapy. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was not reading. I, I was reading many books, but I also wrote a book to 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 change my life myself does it make sense yeah it makes total sense yeah yes, so i had like and for that uh, my co-author and me we went to the village of ogimi which is where they live the longest in the world is in ogimi mm-hmm. which is a place in, in north of okinawa mm-hmm. and there i asked everyone what is your ikigai, which is basically what is your purpose in life? And almost everyone answered me very fast, which was fascinating. It was people who were in the 90s, even above 100 years old. And that caught me, yeah, like this is, if you want to live longer, it is unhappy, which is very long and happy and healthy then you have to have a very, well, you, you don't have to have, but at least it's also at the end of the book of Ikigai, is at least if you don't know what your Ikigai is, you should, you should, your Ikigai should be to find your Ikigai. So you always feel every morning, okay, I have to, I'm living for this. And then you start your morning every day. Wow. Thank you so much, Hector, for sharing that really, you know, personal story. Um, it's um it must have been do you think it was a life-changing moment for you when you went it was not a moment itself it was a process of years like Mm. starting to write the book going to ogimi publishing the book seeing how it has become now i feel like i don't like being like yeah i try not to the book became famous, but I yeah. try to be behind it. I don't like being famous myself. I like being hidden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's been, uh, I'm feeling also now responsibility. When I see people like you who tell me, oh, this book. So now I'm thinking, yes, it's been a process. Yeah. Life changing, which has been like almost five, six years now. Mm. It made me also write much more. Now I keep, I consider myself, yeah, I, I keep writing books now. So writing, writing has become kind of my ikigai, like yeah. writing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, it's like, yeah, it's changing my life in a continuous way, I, I would say. Yeah. I cannot pinpoint an exact, exact moment because there were many ups and downs. Mm-hmm. I guess that, that makes sense for you too. And like you have like yes, of ups course. and downs in life. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, I know, everyone has their own struggles. And I guess I was similar in that, you know, I'm 26 years old. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, I think the book, it really, um, it was kind of life-changing for me reading this book because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I was studying something at university I didn't really like, um, just kind of floating through life in many ways. Um, and I thought it was interesting how you mentioned Viktor Frankl and how he talked about Sunday neurosis. And mm-hmm. I, I was having that, you know, on Sundays. Every, for yes. some weird reason, um, every Sunday I would feel kind of down and kind of depressed. And um, I couldn't really explain it at all. Um, and I think it was just because I, I wasn't moving and I was just kind of moving for the sake of moving. And 
when I read this book and I learned about um, the people of Okinawa and especially the people in Ogimi, the village in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for the listeners that don't know, um, Okinawa is famous for being the island where people live to be the oldest. And Ogimi village in Okinawa has some of the longest living citizens in the world. And yes, I was learning about them and, you know, their diet and their lifestyle. And I just thought, wow, these people, their their lives just have so much meaning. And it was just incredibly motivational. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it really changed my life in many ways. So what, what, what was it the moment, what were you studying at university? Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually graduating um, university on Tuesday uh-huh. of next oh, week. Wow. And, Congratulations. Thank you so much, Hector. Um, so I'm graduating uh, with a degree in law and international relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just a couple of years ago, it just kind of occurred to me when I was walking to my university, I thought, man, do I, do I really love this, you know, Um, this is what I'm truly passionate about. Um, and I just had to be honest with myself and I just thought, no. So I was actually on the way to a, um, a law lecture and I actually skipped the lecture and I just sat down, um, <laughs> uh, very, very, you know, very poetic, you know, sat down to this tree and I just pulled out my journal. I started, I started writing down, just started drawing down all these notes. And I came to the conclusion that, what I'm really passionate about is history and philosophy. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I I started this channel and this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm, I think that's my ikigai, you know, who knows, maybe I'll change my mind mm-hmm. later on, but this yes. book was the okay, catalyst. For me, so okay. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. I have to thank you though okay. for that. Yes, but you have to also see, so it makes me, so I also think like the, As you say, like ikigai, like you can use the word ikigai as a guidance, but it doesn't have to. You can you can change and shift gears. I'm also being reflecting after writing ikigai book. I'm reflecting a lot about the the, the, the real. Like, yeah, I'm reflecting more and more. So I think the main purpose is to to know yourself as a person, because you as you were saying, it's like okay, you are studying law, and maybe. Yeah, that that's not really something that can pull you to just do that for 50 years or or 80 years in your life. Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't know. I just know you for now, like 30 minutes. Yeah. It seems to me I don't know what. Maybe studying law, you mm-hmm. can pull some things that you learn there, like yeah. maybe writing or being better at reading. Like probably you read a lot. Yes. While you were studying, so that's that's a skill in your brain. Now you can use that to read maybe philosophers, yeah, and understanding. So it, it was not a. I, I always like to. It was not a waste. It was a lesson learned. That's what I mean. I also started like everything you do in life. You find a meaning and then you shift gears. Okay, this is not exactly. It. Then I can use it here. Yeah. Maybe you got the skills of writing too, and then you think okay. Maybe so that does it make sense? You pull, you pull things so you don't feel like okay that was a waste of time. It's always uh, you only this is from this is not my not my words, but this this is a Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. The, the dots will connect in the future. You will start okay. This was a phase in my life, and then this was another phase in my life, and then okay. Uh, now I started a podcast and then you become better at interviewing people mm-hmm. and then everything starts connecting and then you, you you start and I'm still in that process I don't know I still like ever, like I write down I think a good exercise is to write down mm-hmm. like you were doing like, like in, in your notebook you mentioned so you reflect on Okay, why do I enjoy doing, and what do I don't like? I I try to write every day, if not like like on every two three days. What gets me? Because I still there are still obligations we have as human beings, and the older you become, you have a family and everything. You have to do things, and maybe you have to do a job because you need money, mm-hmm. and but you can start writing down what. Got you very excited today, 
and what got you like because sometimes we don't know we just yeah. keep doing things yeah uh, and these things i didn't like that much Mm-hmm. And then, if you do that like 15 days, one month, then, then, then you start seeing patterns mm-hmm. and you start seeing what type of person you are. Mm-hmm. You start seeing, okay, I'm a person that I enjoy like, having two or three hours of quiet time by myself every day. Or maybe you're a person who gets very happy being uh, in a sales meeting with 10 people and getting deals you really enjoy that and then you become a businessman so mm-hmm. fair enough that we are all different yeah but but you have to if you don't enjoy that don't start shifting mm-hmm. start shifting and and then finding your way and it's yeah. not i uh, also think that if you find your way maybe you are like oh, i think it's fun to i see this it's fun to be always searching for meaning, like Victor Flanken. So I don't get, sometimes I, I still, I have to confess, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated, like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something else that is what could be my real icky guy. So I start, like, but now I'm focusing on writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're, but you're still on the path, right? So yes, you're constantly, exactly, exactly. And I couldn't agree more, Hector, you know, I. I think it's it's so important to not live with regrets. Um, yeah, you know, at least for me, I, you know, I don't regret studying what I studied. Um, and you know, it wasn't all doom and gloom. You know, there are many, there are many, I guess, some yes. positives and many great takeaways um, from the whole experience and whatnot. And I think you can, you know, it's kind of a microcosm of life, right? Like it's it's like in with anything, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, I think it's on the first page of the book, right? Um, yes, the Japanese proverb. I thought this was brilliant. You know, only staying active will make you want to live for a hundred years. Yes, sorry. and I think that really sums it up. Yes, because we have in the West, or I don't know if in the West, I don't know about Australia, but in in Spain, we have like still this mindset that. You will work and make money towards mm-hmm. retirement, and then you will do nothing and go to the beach and drink, mm-hmm. I don't know, and drink mojitos and have good food. In. Mm-hmm. That's the that's kind of the image we still have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Japanese don't have that. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the main thesis of the book. Does it make sense? Like you, you also being here in Japan, in Japan they don't say I will work and then I will retire and do nothing. In Japan, the mindset is like, is like I will work and I will do things. Sometimes, to be fair, like Tokyo life in life in Okinawa in Ogimi is very different from Tokyo. I don't yeah. think in Tokyo there is also many people who need to read Ikigai book. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yes, the retirement thing, the retirement mindset is like you should do things. So maybe, yes, you retire from having to make money every day, but you don't retire from life. That, mm. that's, that's not you, you, you. life. While you're alive, you have to be active, like keep doing things. And that will keep you motivated and not, not have what you said, like Sunday. Yes, it's like you, you have to feel the... It's also like you have to feel the energy when you wake up in the morning. Oh, wow. I'm, and when you start not feeling that, then you should consider changing some things. So I still have like, have some like, okay, these two, three months, I'm not feeling it. Why is that? Maybe I should focus more on this. Maybe this is draining energy from me. I should change this. So I'm always adapting. Mm -hmm. It's, um, I guess that was one of the mysteries for me about Japan, um, you know, because when I when I read the book, I thought, wow, this, um, at first I thought, man, this doesn't really make much sense to me. You know, Japan's got, <laughs> you know, uh, some of the oldest people in the world. Um, and I thought, well, that, that's kind of interesting. Um, how ironic is that? Because it also has, you know, um, some highest suicide rates in the world suicide as well. Suicide and stress. 
So yes, I didn't. Yes, exactly. I'm criticized, but because I'm too, I'm too optimistic in my books. Also in a geek in Japan. Yes. <laughs> so there is. You've been here, and there is also yeah. a dark, dark side. Yeah. Of Japan, to be fair, but the the, the point. The point is the river is like even with suicide and lots of stress and everything. The point is that if you feel like if your body and mind feel like you have to keep doing yeah. things, you you live more like the, the data says that Japanese live more, even if they overwork and they do all the crazy. So it seems to be something in fact there is research that in the West, when people retire after 60 years old, the, the increase of illnesses after 60, between 60 and 65, like people die. And if you get over 65, it's probably people who have uh, hobbies or like they really love their family, like they have something that they have a Nikki guy. Mm -hmm. Then if they get over 65, then you live longer, even like Japanese. But yes, Japan has. I think every culture has dark side, but we I prefer to focus on learning the good, picking up the, the best of each culture, and and, and, and absorbing to it to, to myself. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, I mean, not everyone is like that. It's a it's a small subset of the culture, um, and usually in larger cities, right? And I mean, Japan has so many different prefectures and, you know, there are so many different cultural practices and so many different kinds of people. And I mean, if you look at a village in Okinawa like Ogimi and Tokyo, they're vastly, vastly different, right? But that's another fascinating thing about, I think that's another factor why mm -hmm. Japan is so attractive to, to, to you, to me and to many people mm -hmm. is because, as you said, even in Tokyo, if you move like from one neighborhood to another, it's in like a different world. You go from Ueno, it's full of, of old people, very relaxed. Then you move to like Sibuya, it's totally different vibe. Yeah. You go to another neighborhood and it's like maybe like people, little houses, people living like, like you, they are not in a city. It feels like very warm. And you move around, like you know, Tokyo is... You can be, I've been 15 years in Tokyo and I still know, I don't know, maybe 20%. It's impossible to, to know. Well, that's another attractive thing. Yeah. That, that's what I miss about it so much. Um, you know, you can just be, you can go out for the day, maybe on a Saturday, you know, with friends. You can walk around the city and, you know, you, yes. you find new places and you can get sort of lost yes. in this huge yes. metropolis. So, that's a very good way to put Tokyo. Yes, the feeling of getting lost, but at the same time, you know you are not lost. Exactly. It's, yes, like feeling, yes. Yeah. So Hector, I'd, I'd love to delve into um, just some of your adventures in, in Ogimi. Um, and just, just for the listeners who haven't read the book, why is Ogimi so special? Mm, why? So really, this this place, it's really you can when when we went there, we tried to. It's, it's a village. There is like two thousand and eight hundred people living there, and mm -hmm. uh, it has the highest rate of people over a hundred years old. It has the is considered the place with the longest living people in the world and it's literally in the middle of the jungle like house people's houses and everything and there is not a, you can you cannot find a city well the village center it's like you move around your car with your car we were moving like the middle of the, the jungle and it's between the jungle and the sea so there is there are roads and then like maybe 10 20 houses one neighborhood and then you move up in the jungle and you, there's another 10 20 houses where people live and they have like they cultivate mangoes or, or like they have these 
oranges, which are called sikwasas. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you go down and people are fishing, or and and then there is no there is no supermarkets, or everyone lives from the th- things that they grow. And it's very so. It's very difficult to explain. It's not mm-hmm. really a. It's not really. It's a community of people living together in this jungle-like place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's how it feels. Ogimi. Uh, there's many people now who, after reading Ikigai, they go to Ogimi, and I feel a little bit bad because you go there and there's nothing. It's like. It's not a it's not a touristic place. It's just yeah, you yeah. go there. There is a road. There is a jungle, and there is the sea, mm-hmm. and there is some houses and some people you will see maybe moving around. Mm-hmm. But there is no. I think there is one, two restaurants, and they're always almost closed. You have to go to the next. I always recommend to go to the next place, which is called Nago, which is a little bit of a bigger city where there is there is a hospital and restaurants and hotels. So Ogimi has literally no infrastructure of any kind. Mm. It's just all people living there. Mm. And that's, that's the kind of place, place it is. And then why do they live so long? You see that people there, they they eat, so one of the things is the, the diet. Mm. They eat what they grow, and they eat many things from, from the sea, but they also eat many things that they, they grow, vegetables. And another thing is that we didn't see, if you go to a place where there's lots of old people, many times you find many people just sitting around and doing nothing. In Okimi, we always saw people being active, like you said before, only in a hundred years, no, no, only in activity, you will live to a hundred. So everyone was always doing things, uh, moving around, like, and you, uh, we would interview these people and say, what are you going to do now? I'm going to, to do karaoke with my friends. I'm going to do, there was like one guy who was teaching tennis and he was like, I don't know, almost 80 years old. And he, was teaching, he was a teacher, a tennis teacher to like young kids in the school. Uh-huh. And another one, an old woman, like she liked to make her own uh, bags and sell them. They're, they have a place that is, it's like a, free markets where people can sell their own they sell their own things that they grow to other people in the town mm. and things that they make so it's a local community so communities and everyone knowing each other it's also a very important factor I would put the, that's the, we use the word moai in the bookkeeping which means Having you have your ikigai, but you are very lonely and you just do it by yourself. That might not be the secret to have a long life. You also need love around you and people who understand you and do similar things to you. So that's something that we find out also in Ogimi. And the word moai in Japanese, well, in in. Okinawa, there are many moai. It's like clubs or communities where you gather once every month and you do things together. Like, you do, okay, it's a moai who like karaoke and you spend the afternoon, everyone together. Mm. And you have a common, you put money and you have like every month you put like, I don't know, 5,000 yen. And then once a year you do something together. You do a trip together. Or then you help each other. If someone's house is destroyed by a typhoon, then you use the money to to help each other. So you don't feel you feel supported. It's very important to feel supported mm-hmm. in life. 
in big cities these days, that feeling of support can be lost. You can feel lonely. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another important thing. That I think this is not only in Ogimi, in other little towns and villages everywhere in the world have this thing that everyone kind of, even if they're always like people who like and dislike each other, in the end, mm-hmm. you have close communities. Yeah, it's so interesting how, um, you know, they're, they're one, I guess they're one big family. That's one takeaway that I got yes, from it. Yes, that's I it. thought it was really interesting how um, in the book you talk about the five places in the world um, with these, you know, the most amount of um, centurions. And I thought it was interesting how they're all islands, essentially. So, you know, they're smaller places. And you know, the people have to help each other. You know, there's this real sense of belonging. And you know, when I was learning about Ogimi when I was reading the book, I thought, wow, these people are so – what is it about them? Why are they so special? And um, the first thing that I got was that there's just a real sense of belonging, you know, whether it be, you know, the food. You know, they're, they're growing their own food, um, the community itself, Um the lifestyle and even their ikigai, their purpose as well. Yes, belonging. Yeah. That's be- belonging. That's the word. You have to mm-hmm. feel. If you don't feel the belonging, then it's like there's some. There is. Yeah, it's like you feel down, or even mm-hmm. if you do things that you like a lot, mm-hmm. there is something that we, we all need. We all need love. Absolutely. And I watched your documentary, your mini documentary, um, on the book on YouTube, and oh, yeah. it, it was it was so great. It was so great. It was so great to see all these really, you know, old people. They're all smiling and they're very happy. And I guess from you know a Western lens, we'd think, oh man, you know, working in my in my nineties or you know after I turn a hundred. Um, you know, it, it sounds kind of stressful and, oh, man, I don't want to do any work. I just want to retire. And We should change the word. The word, the word yeah. It's not work. It's, it's, it's ikigai. So. Ikigai. That, that's <laughs> it. Whatever you like doing. Any hobby, like whatever, music or, yeah, hobbies, I think. That's another. So Japanese people, even if they're very stressed in, in work, they are very invested in their hobbies mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember like like people like they're crazy about golf or mm-hmm. any or like all this they're very very whereas in other places hobbies is something much more relaxed and mm-hmm. Jap- mm-hmm. japanese they take it very seriously mm-hmm. like their hobby they, they could be even pros almost like a pro so mm-hmm. that's that's something i'm trying to incorporate in my life like Mm-hmm. becoming making your hobby so big that when you retire you don't feel you don't feel an emptiness mm-hmm. and you don't feel unsafe mm-hmm. also because if you if you've been doing something all the time and you feel confident at the end if you've been doing the same job mm-hmm. until you're 60 and suddenly the next day you don't have to go to the office anymore mm-hmm. You feel there is an emptiness there. It's not. I don't think people are like, "Oh, I'm happy now. I don't have to work." It's like, I think it's a feeling of emptiness. It's like yeah. you need to feel, you need to feel needed. It's like, okay, now no one needs me. I thought that was, um, I guess when I when I moved to Australia, that's the first thing that I sort of noticed. I thought. Wow, I I actually realized so much more, you know, how unique Japan really is. And um, I guess my big takeaway was, you know, Japanese people, um, not just in Ogimi, um, throughout Japan, you know, they 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 dedicate themselves, you know, one hundred percent to their pursuits, endeavors, um, family, friends, you name it, whatever's around them, but they don't take it too seriously. Always laughing. Seriously, yeah. was laughing. I guess with the Ogimi case, um, that's sort of what I got from them. I thought, wow, they, they're all smiling, they're all so happy, and they're they're working so hard, but you know, simultaneously not taking it too seriously. 
you know, when I was watching the mini documentary and when I was reading the book, I kept thinking about that, about the cultural differences there as well. And I know you mentioned this in the book about wabi-sabi, you know, acceptance of the transience and imperfection. And I thought that was a really good example um, when you're talking about buildings, you know, with Japan versus the West. You know, in, in the West, buildings are, des- you know, designed to, you know, withstand, you know, time, really, whereas a lot of the buildings in Japan are designed to to wither, to to wear down, to be, you know, rebuilt later on by other generations. So oxymoronically kind of um, there's a, it kind of keeps tradition going in many ways, but at the same time is very forward thinking. Yes, that's, I have nothing to add to that, exactly. It's very, I still, it's very, mysterious because mm. and, and sometimes for a waste western it can be very maybe even frustrating because you see things now that when you come back to tokyo and you see sibuya mm-hmm. like they they destroy buildings every 20 30 years and they make another one that yeah. is more like this it's more or less the same at least in europe we are very like if there is a building and that becomes historical. It has to be like that for, and it's mm-hmm. like that for hundred or two hundred or three hundred years, mm-hmm. and you have to keep it like that. Mm-hmm. So, Japan they are very traditional, but at the same time forward thinking, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I see it as they they care more about keeping the way things are done mm. is where they see the value mm. more more than the objects themselves mm. Mm. so so the the Ise shrine I don't know if you've been there in Ise so it's one of the oldest shrines in the, in, in Japan mm-hmm. but it's not really old because it's the last time it was it's it's been rebuilt every twenty years for for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So the last version was rebuilt, I think, two thousand and thirteen. Mm-hmm. So I went in two thousand and ten. So I, I saw I visited the the previous version, the current version I haven't visited yet. Yeah. So it's. And then in now 2013, so now 2000, uh, I guess 2033, they will destroy it and then build it again. Mm. Uh, and this is the most important shrine in Japan. The Ise shrine is made with wood, so it's easier to destroy. Mm-hmm. But what they do is they have the original maps and the way to build it from 2,000 or 3,000 years ago. Mm. So the tradition and the way to build it, it's transferred from fathers to son. Mm-hmm. And there has been, the, the connection has never been broken to thousands mm. of years. So the historical thing, the most important thing is how you build it. Mm. And they use the same wood, the same materials. They don't use any metal. Mm. They use it's it's, it's met and it's, it's used using the same tools. You don't use uh, modern cranes or any. You don't use uh, electrical saws. Mm. You, you build this shrine is built exactly. If you had the time machine and went three thousand years ago. And you saw the people building the the Isis shrine, you would see the same thing you will see in 2033. Mm. So the value is in keeping the tradition of how things are built. Whereas Mm. in Europe, the value is like, okay, this cathedral is like that, and we don't touch it. But if they ask us, like now you have to build a new cathedral using the same methods as 500 years ago, 
I think we cannot do it. it is, the tradition has been lost. Now we are using cranes and, and modern techniques and computer simulations to build. So, yes, it's, it's modern and not modern at the same time. Yeah, and I, I guess it's a way of, um, you know, perpetuating, you know, traditional craftsmanship. Yes. I'm sure that's an icky guy for a lot of people, a lot of builders. Yes, and that's been perfected for thousands of years, which is fascinating. Craft, that craftsmanship is not lost. That's beautiful. Hey, Hector, are you aware of the, um, the term um, kintsugi? Yes. And just for the listeners that aren't aware of kintsugi, kintsugi is a Japanese practice of repairing broken pottery. So repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold. Um, and I think that's another really beautiful, um, Japanese practice in many ways. And, um, you know, and I think it relates, you know, and when I was reading about, you know, the people of Okinawa in your book, I I kept thinking they're just so resilient, you know, um, with what happened in World War II, for instance, you know, they, they have that past, you know, so many people died, they had, they have that history, um, they have the scars, you know, and I think um, in a sort of similar light with Kintsugi, you know, they've, they, they sort of turned it into something beautiful. And, you know, they, they've, um, their culture, then their tradition sort of live on, um, despite those really horrible things that happened in the past. Yes, that's a very powerful comparison you're doing there between Kintsugi and Okinawan scars. Yeah. Yes, that's Okinawan people have been. Yeah, this like you have earthquakes, you have typhoons. It's been not only in Second World War. It's been always at those islands have been always in the middle of. China and Japan has been always in the middle of nowhere. It's been a population who have many, many scars. Yeah. So generation after generation, they, they have become very strong. Mm. And that's the culture of Okinawa might come from there. They are very strong, but at the same time, as we were saying before, always with a smile. In their faces, like, okay, very serious, but at the same time, okay, let's laugh because it's like, this is just life. And that's also true in some ways for Japan in general. You never know when an earthquake is going to hit. Mm -hmm. So that has also something in people's mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to live to the fullest every day. Like Every day has to be, you have to live it very intensely. Mm -hmm. So because you don't know, whereas in other places, if you don't, it's nice to live in a place where there's no, not, not much risk of earthquake or anything, but maybe it has some power to know that you're not safe. It's like It makes you like, okay, I have to, you never know what's going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I guess it sort of, this sort of touches on you know, the idea of, you know, Ichigo Ichie, you know, every yes. moment is once in a lifetime opportunity. The people of Okinawa, they, they just, they exude that. Yes, you live in the moment. I'm going to do some, so I'm going to publish a new book with that title, which the title will be Ichigo Ichie, mm-hmm. and it will be published by Penguin again at the end of December this year. Fantastic. So this, I think, yeah. So this is exclusive for your podcast. I think I haven't said it's first time I say the. It's it's been, it's 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 already published in Europe, in Spanish, in Poland, and but English version is coming in December. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is ah, so it's exciting. Been, uh, it's, it's being translated now because Fantastic. I realize. Ichigo Ichie, the word, it's just, there are two paragraphs in the, the Ikigai book. But so many people asked me about it that I wanted to go deeper. 
So there's a whole book about Ichigo, HEF, because it's another one of those words that has lots of meaning inside. It's like, yeah. it's like Ikigai, like you cannot translate that word. Yeah. Ichigo, Ichigo, is also not translatable, so mm -hmm. you need a book to, to explain it. Yeah, it's it's so unique, and I think um, I don't know too much about it, but I think the backstory is really interesting. Um, wasn't the term coined by um, a, a man named Sen Norikyu? Yes, exactly. Master? The, the master. Yeah, he's very, con he's very connected with uh, because the whole like the tea ceremony. Uh, have you ever done the tea ceremony? Yeah. Yes, and what the. I guess you probably did it the first time when you were a kid, mm -hmm. and probably you thought, "Whoa, this is boring! But what the <laughs> hell is this?" That's probably that's, that's what happened to me. Like, okay, what what's the big deal about this? Is yeah, this yeah. Why why all these preparation and things and just to just to drink a tea, where I can be at home and drink a tea in in two minutes and play video games. What's the, <laughs> what's the big deal about this? But the whole point of a tea ceremony is to, it's not about drinking the tea, but it is about bringing people awareness to the present. So you forget, you forget about your worries and things from the past. You forget about what's coming in the future and you focus on the present and you are so focused on the present and then when you taste the also the, the tea is very bitter when you taste the bitterness of of that tea it goes into your that also helps is like a drug like experience and then you become fully present in that moment and then okay that's 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 the feeling of Ichigo Ichie. That's why when you do tea ceremony, there is always there is usually a scroll hanging that says Ichigo Ichie. So that's the, the whole purpose of it. So if you do tea ceremony again, or if someone is listening now, and that's if you go with this mindset, you will enjoy the tea ceremony hundred times more than if you go with the mindset. I went my first time as a like twenty something years old, like super. Like, ah, what the fuck! I have to spend <laughs> twenty minutes to give me the tea. I want to drink the tea and go on. To, and, Come on already, let's go. <laughs> like, so if you go with that mindset, it's like that's not the point. The, 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 yeah. the, the main thing is to bring you, bring your awareness to the present, mm -hmm. which is very. It's almost impossible. But there are many tools that we can use. You can use meditation, you can use tea ceremony, uh, you can use your hobbies, you can use many techniques. Mm -hmm. And Ichiko Ichie is that word that, that brings you to, to the present. Yeah, and I, it's so beautiful. And I, I think it's a, you know, it's a bit of an extreme example, but, you know, Sen no Rikyu, the guy who coined the term, I think people are... You know, he was quite a controversial figure and people were trying to kill him. And so yes. every time he would drink his tea, every time he would drink his tea, he thought this could be, you know, the last time I drink tea. Last time. It was very, yeah, this guy's story is very, you could write, you could write a book only about him. Uh, it became important because at those times, like the, the person, he prepared the tea ceremony for the, the shoguns. Mm. So... And uh, so I think he was, in the end, he was killed, right? Mm -hmm. And I haven't read it recently. He was killed because the Shogun suspected that he was in a plot to, to kill him. But in the end, it was not true. So so the person who killed him, commanded to kill him, then regretted. Like, I should have not killed Sen Norikyu. Because he was one of the best things in my his teacher monies was one were one of the best things in my life. The whole ritual and everything to to to, to bring to make make human beings more human. Mm. 
Yeah, and you know, we don't have assassins coming after us every day, you know. But, you know, at the same time, yes, you know, uh, I can walk down the street tomorrow and get hit by a car. All we have is the present moment. So I think yes. it's a, a really beautiful idea. You know, so if you're drinking your green tea right now, enjoy every sip. <laughs> yes, all, always. Very oh. yeah. Today we will probably do half of doing this podcast. I would prefer a green tea. <laughs> yeah. And Hector, I thought it was... um. I thought it was really interesting with um, Okinawa and how, because, you know, Okinawa is occupied by, um, I guess 20% of Okinawa is occupied by U.S. bases. And I thought it was interesting how in the capital of Okinawa, I think um, the um, average life expectancy has, has dropped quite a bit due to, I guess, the advent of the American diet. Apparently, when they they migrate abroad, um, they don't live as long, right? Yes, yeah, so diet is very important. From all the factors, I think diet is very... Okinawa has... The American diet is starting to... Especially Naha, which is the capital of Okinawa. So, but still there are many things in Okinawan diet that are slightly different from the rest of Japan. For example, one vegetable that they call goya, which is, I think it's called in, in the U.S., they call it bitter melon. Mm-hmm. And they eat a lot of that in, in Okinawa and not in the rest of Japan. In the rest of Japan, they, they eat it, but not as much as in Okinawa. And many other little things and traditions. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel that even though American diet comes to Okinawa. They, they, you've also seen this when Japan brings imports some kind of food, then they Japanize it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they bring car, they, 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 they bring something. They bring I don't know curry from from <laughs> India and they make it cut. I they, they make all kinds of Japanese, and then it's not the Indian curry any anymore. It becomes something different. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in Okinawa, they have something that they call it taco, taco rice, which was, it's an invention of Okinawa that they say they made it, I don't know, I forgot the story of taco rice, but it was, they got something from the U.S., it, it appeared in a restaurant near the U.S. base, and mm-hmm. then they started changing it, and now it's just taco rice, it's like rice with, uh, uh, like, yeah, with meat and tomato and avocado, and then the portion is not very big. So in the end, it becomes a more or less, it has lettuce too, so mm-hmm. it becomes a more or less healthy thing. It's it's American, mm-hmm. but Japanized, and, mm-hmm. and you see taco rice, and you wouldn't think, what what is this? This is Okinawan food, but it's a mix of things. So... Yes, I think diet is very important. And the general rule that we have in the book is like you you just eat, even though the American diet is kind of pervasive everywhere, the thing that Japanese keep, and you walk around Tokyo and you don't see much fat people, Mm -hmm. what they keep is that portions are not big. So even though if you're eating something not very healthy, if you eat less, so they have this saying in in Japanese, which is harahachibu, which is when you are filled to 80%, you stop eating. And many times in other places, what we do is the reverse. When you feel you are 100%, then you order dessert, and then mm-hmm. you end up like 120%, and that's where unhealthy things start happening. Mm-hmm. So even though you eat some unhealthy things, if you eat less than you need, then you stay. That's the Japanese way, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's the only, I read somewhere that Japan is the only country, is the only developed country that in the last this is from data from the 80s until now. In the last 40 years, the rate of fat people has not gone up. It has gone 
it has stayed equal. Mm. So the rate of fat people in all developed countries in the for last 40 years is going up, mm-hmm. except Japan, which is the same. Mm-hmm. You can find, even though the American diet is kind of spreading around Tokyo, people are still not getting fatter than than 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn from Japan. I think, um, if anything, you know, it's the land of many mysteries, many secrets, and um, possibly even, you know, the elixir to life and, you know, some longevity tricks. Yes. But, yeah, it's funny, um, the, the taco rice that you were talking about, I've actually had that oh. in. It's so delicious. Very it's good, right? Taco rice. It's so, it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm obviously very biased, but I always used to joke about that. The people that have never been to Japan would ask me, oh, like, like, what do you eat in Japan? Is it just sushi and ramen and, you know, takoyaki and things like that? And I, I always said, no, no, you can get anything you want. Um, but I'd always joke and say, like, you know, in my opinion, um, pasta is better in Japan. You know, hamburgers are better in Japan. Um, yeah. uh, hamburgers, <laughs> miss- the whole hamburger game in Japan is crazy, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, it is, like whole world of hamburgers with different names and lots of experimenting everyone who's listening you know if you if you haven't read this book please read it change my life Mm -hmm. i'm going to reread it many times um it's a beautiful book and very powerful um i'm really looking forward to ichigo ichie and Mm -hmm. um thank you where where can we um find out more about you um do you have a website or facebook page or anything like that Oh, I should I should do better. Yeah, my website is just agikinjapan.com. From there, you will find my Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me as agikinjapan. Fantastic. Well, Hector, thank you so much. Yes. I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. Let me know if you come to, to Tokyo. Absolutely. You can go yes. for a walk around many beautiful parts of Tokyo and, yes. and keep chatting. Yes, that's, that would be awesome. Let's do that when you come. Okay? okay. All right, Hector. Have a great day. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. I was having the time of my life. I'm sure we'll have Hector back on the podcast in the near future. I highly recommend Hector's game-changing book, Ikigai, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. Also, check out his other book, A Geek in Japan, Discovering the Land of Manga, Anime, Zen, and the Tea Ceremony. His new book, The Book of Ichigo Ichie, The Art of Making the Most of Every Moment, The Japanese Way, is coming out soon, so keep your eyes peeled. If you'd like to keep up to date with Hector's work, head on over to geekinjapan.com. That's it from me. Until next time, peace and love. Citizens of Kaizen! Kaizen!